Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Habakkuk. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. And I, I, I promise you, we're only going to do this once, but uh, I wanted to let you know uh, that uh, we are uh, now having uh, an Irmo police officer here on our campus. Uh, we welcome you. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Welcome him. Uh, I was going to announce it anyway, but here you are. So, uh, and, and I know um, his desire probably is just to blend in. And we want that to be the case uh, with us and not with uh, those out there. So uh, we're, we're glad to have them here. Uh, I want to make it clear, though, that um, this is not a result of what happened last Sunday. I know it's strange and it seems rather obvious timing, uh, but we have been talking about this for months and uh, we are uh, constantly working on our security plan here. We still are. Uh, we are open to um, certainly input from anyone in the congregation. And uh, this is just uh, one more step that uh, in our day we believe is uh, a necessary one. And uh, we are thankful for uh, those who serve in law enforcement in our congregation and certainly in, in our community. Uh, ironically, as we go into Habakkuk, that's what we have to talk about, isn't it? Last Sunday, 26 people in Sutherland Springs, Texas, went to church to worship God and assuming their faith was real, before the end of that worship service, they were in the presence of Christ, worshiping Him in person. Now, as I think about that, I don't know that that's the worst way to go. I know it had to be terrifying for a few moments, but then to, uh, you know, go to church to worship and wind up in the, the very presence of your Savior, for them, but for those who are left, and for us and for the rest of our country, it leaves us with Habakkuk-like questions. Oh God, how long? How long are you going to, to let this go on? How long will you let this violence go on? It's right out of the first chapter of Habakkuk. Why are you standing idly by? And so Habakkuk asks these uh, heart-wrenching questions that, that many in our country are asking today, all week long. Those that believe in God are saying, 
God how long. Those that don't believe in God say, see, if there was a God, why would those kinds of things be happening to people who say there's a God? And so as Habakkuk asked these questions, he got into a dialogue with God. And amazingly, God kept answering him. He could have said, I am the sovereign God of the universe. Who are you, little man, to stand up and ask me those questions? He could have done that. And who could have argued with that? End of argument. He had the authority to do that. But instead, he chose to answer him. So Habakkuk says, you know, our people aren't acting right. How long are you going to let this go on? God answers him. Well, actually, I am going to do something about that. And then he gave Habakkuk an answer that he never dreamed of. His answer was, I'm going to cause the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to rise up and come in and swoop down on your people, on you all, and take you over. And that violence and all of that that you're worried about, you won't have to worry about that anymore. And Habakkuk then came back at God again. And he said, well, <laughs> that's, that's not satisfactory. He pulled out his theology. He said, you're, you're of purer eyes than to see evil. You cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at, at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So there what he was saying is, wait a minute, I know my theology. That's not like you. Why are you sitting by when those people come in, and he was just complaining about his own people's uh, actions, they're worse than us. Who are, who, why are you using them? And then God, again, he didn't wipe him out. He answered him again. And he held up a mirror, really, to Habakkuk's own heart. And he said, okay, well, here's what you need to know. They, they are prideful. It's not upright within them. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So what he's saying is, look, here's your only hope in this life. And that is to live and to walk by faith. That's what we focused on last week. But I want us to catch the first part of that verse and see how he follows it up. I'm not going to read it all in, in, in one section. We're going to read it in little sections. But the first part of that verse, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And he's saying, yes, the Babylonians are pri prideful, but so are you in your heart. 
And now he's going to say, okay, Habakkuk, you want to know what's going on? Let me tell you what my judgment is going to look like. And then he proceeds to do just that. One commentator, uh, Baker, says, therefore, Babylonia serves here as a kind of proverbial kind of object lesson of those who would overstep God's bounds. So he's about to say what's going to happen to uh, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the same, same people. I'll use that interchangeably. He, he's about to say what's going to happen to them, but Baker's saying, you know, the reason this is recorded is because there are principles here of how God works. And it's not just the Babylonians that he's talking about. He's saying anyone that oversteps God's bounds out there is liable to this kind of judgment. So let's pick up with verse 6. It says this, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him that heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Now, let me stop here for a moment because when you see that word, uh, woe, I know we don't use that word that much. I don't use it that much. I don't know about you. But uh, that word, woe, I, this is my favorite translation of the Scripture, but the word woe, I'm not sure does it justice. Let me, let me explain what uh, those that study Hebrew would say this word uh, actually is. It's more, it's a derisive word, and rather than woe toward them, I always think of that, well, judgment toward them, which is, is true. Um, one Hebrew scholar indicates it's more like, ha! Or, aha, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, I'm not going to do that every time. That's a little strange. So when, when I say woe, think, ha. You might say, well, that's not all that becoming. Does God really act that way? To use a mocking term, a, 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 it's kind of like a derisive laugh. One of the things that we see, and I think a, a principle that we see here is when, when God judges, he's always righteous, and it is also public, and it is appropriate. So here's what we're going to see in this passage um, what you've done to others, this is the idea, what you've done to others or attempted to do to others, that's going to be done to you. That's the idea, and we're going to, we're going to see that again and again here. It's like um, you're going to get a taste of your own medicine. By the way, that, that phrase, um, I looked that up, you... You, for better or worse, you can look up anything on the internet, okay? Taste of Your Own Medicine comes from one of uh, Aesop's 
stories. And it's, it's uh, one of his stories where there is a guy going around selling fake medicine and saying, this medicine will cure anything. Okay? And then he gets sick and they give him some of his own medicine. And obviously it doesn't work. So that's, that's the idea of getting a taste of your own medicine. And that's basically what he's saying here. What's going to happen uh, will vindicate God from God's perspective, my righteousness and my people's patience. He goes on in verse 7. Will not your debtors uh, suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So here's, here's the, the first thing we're seeing here is that he who plunders shall himself be plundered. Here's what we need to know from that. They're not getting away with anything. Isn't that a part of the frustration with us living on Saturday, remember, between the promise and fulfillment? Is it looks like the unrighteous are winning and they're, they're having the victories and they're getting away with everything. And when we try to do that which is right, we lose. Isn't that the frustration? And so he's saying, it's not going to happen with the Babylonians or anyone else. There's no such thing as ultimately getting away with unrighteousness before a holy God. So God is dealing with their, their massive greed here. In fact, the word debtor is uh, derived from uh, the word meaning to bite. So here's the idea. You put the bite on others, suddenly the bite's going to be on you. That's what's going to happen. And then he goes on. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high. So the idea of a, a nest being up on high is for safety. It's not down low where a predator can get it. It's, you know, the, the bird puts its nest up there and it should be safe or the squirrel or whatever. And uh, he's saying, look, you're, don't think you're safe from uh, judgment. Uh, he says to be safe from the realm of harm. Verse 10, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people's you have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. These aren't easy to understand, so that's why I'm boiling them down into principles. In this case, misplaced security will result in insecurity. So if they're putting their, their security in their things, and look, our officer's gone, so I, I, I can say this. We, you know, we, we appreciate, absolutely, 
and, and I'm convinced we're doing the right thing. But look, ultimately, any safety or non-safety we have is in God's hands, right? So let's never forget that. We appreciate law enforcement and we, we do everything we can that common sense uh, calls us to do. And yet our trust is in the one who's sitting on the throne. So we must, we must not misplace our security either because earthly security will fail. If you think you're safe from the revenge he's saying here of those you've ravaged, you're deceiving yourselves. Then verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it's not from the Lord of hosts that peoples uh, labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for, for nothing. Here's the principle. Those who are violent will be subdued. Those who are violent and, and think they're getting away with it, they'll be subdued. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, built a beautiful Babylon. He built uh, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But he did it on treachery, on the backs of slaves, on the backs of captives, the blood, sweat, and tears, and lives of those he had captured. By the way, there's no evidence of those hanging gardens of Babylon anymore. Where they were, scholars argue about that. There was a prophecy that Babylon would be destroyed over in Jeremiah 51, verse 58. I'll just read it to you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground and her gates shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing and the nations weary themselves only for fire. So here he's talking about these various judgments and, and here's, here's the beautiful thing about this passage is right smack in the middle there's a, there's a breath of air. When I was a kid I used to uh, like to dive in a pool. That's back when kids, you used to be able to dive into the pool head first, and I know you can't do that anymore, but dive into the pool and try to go clear the other end, or as far as I could go, underwater. I always thought that was fun to do. And, you, you know, and, and if it was a short enough pool, I could do it. If it was too long, you'd get partway across, and then you know, you're kind of going, you know, and, and, you, and what do you got to do? You got to come up, and when you come up, what do you do? <sighs> you know, that's kind of what we have here. We've got this breath of, of air right in the middle of all this doom and this judgment that, uh, that he's talking about. And we see in verse 14, the greatness of God 
right here in the middle of all this judgment, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's almost like, well, that should be the end of the sermon right there. Thanks be to God. That's what's coming. It's a promise that it isn't fulfilled in Habakkuk's day. It begins to be fulfilled in, uh, in the Lord in, through Jesus. But it goes beyond what was fulfilled then to the promise that one day the entire world will be uh, filled with that knowledge. Now, that's our part preaching, teaching, sharing, spreading the word of God throughout the world. Don't miss the global missions aspect of that. I mean, that's what it's talking about. And that's our role is to, to work toward that to where uh, the glory of God is spread throughout the world. But he's saying, one day I will bring that to be. And then he goes back to the woes right on the heels of that. But we've had enough hope here right in the middle to, to get through the next several. The, the next ones are those trying to embarrass others shall themselves be shamed. And this is a, a strange passage here. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk. And that's what the Babylonians were known for, evidently. Make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You'll have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Here, what he's saying is, you know, the Babylonians were known for this drunkenness and, and debauchery that they would, you know, take over people, they'd make them drink and, so that they could indulge in their sexual perversions. This is... This is literally out of the news of the day today, isn't it? Hearing about some of the Hollywood elite, it's nothing new. Sadly, it's not just Hollywood. It's all over. But God, God says to this, you're not getting away with anything. You might have had a small battle victory here, but you've lost. Here's what he goes on to say. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth to cities and all who dwell in them. Here's, here's basically what he's saying is, God, God's saying, you may make them drink from your cup and you may have your way with them, but if you do that, you will be drinking from my cup. My cup of judgment. No one gets away with this. And then he goes on to talk about the absolute futility of idols. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. 
This is such a vivid picture of what, you know, what an idol maker is. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. So here's the picture he's given, and these are, these are actual idols. You know, here in our country, we tend to talk about, you know, our idols of money and this and that. He's, he's talking about real idols. He's saying, you know, what profit are you getting if you, if you carve an idol or you make it and you overlay it and it looks beautiful and so on? Is it going to teach you? Is it going to save you? Is there any profit in this? And he's making it so clear and it sounds so ridiculous when it comes from that perspective. And so I, I would say this, in, in terms of God and gods, meaning idols, where is your security? Because where your security is, is your God. If your security is in your, your money or your savings or your job, or your family, or your home. If that's where your primary security is, then that has become your God. And it's either the true and living God, or it is one that you have made or you are making. And he says that's absolutely futile. If that's the case for you, it's futile. And then, like that breath of fresh air in the middle of this passage, he, he ends this passage with the right response to the true God. He has been, uh, earlier he talked about the righteous shall live by his faith, and then he's showing the opposite of living by faith but he reminds us where that faith must reside. Ultimately, it's in Christ himself. But he puts it this way. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So, so here's his answer. Habakkuk has argued with God God has reasoned with him. He's told him more than he can even possibly understand. But then he comes to this. And he says, here's what I don't want you to forget. I am in my temple. And I'm not hiding in my temple I'm not sitting idly in my temple. I'm right where I need to be to be the God of this universe. We've got uh, some friends who just had their first baby. They're a little bit younger than us, these <laughs> friends. I'm offended that you laughed, but I'm... 
I'll deal with that. They just had their first baby, and uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen a baby like this. He's beautiful, um, but some, and some babies are like this. Have you ever seen a baby that kind of has a little worried look on his face? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just kind of always, um, he, he looks like he's worried. Now, that'll, that'll go away. He'll, you know, he'll be laughing soon and so on. But here's, here's what his daddy does. His daddy comes up to him, and he's got that little look on his face. And his daddy rubs across his eyebrows and says, I got this, son. It's okay. I got this. That's what God is saying here. He's saying, I am in my temple. I got this. You don't need to be in control. You don't need to worry. Because I'm right where I need to be. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us to remember that when, when we, we turn on the news again, I, I have no doubt it's going to happen today or tomorrow or this week, and we're going to go, oh, no, not again. May our first thoughts be, but God is in his holy temple. No evil is getting away with anything. And it may not be taken care of today, but it will be. And it will be in the best way. And so, Lord, help us in the meantime to walk by faith, by trust in Christ alone. We ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.